Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. It was such a phenomenal weekend for all of us here at Cracked Rackets as we were able to have the opportunity to host our inaugural Cracked Rackets Open here in Indianapolis, and it was a sensational event for so many reasons. Obviously, to provide an opportunity for all of those tennis players out there, whether they be highly ranked juniors, top college players, former pros as well, give them a chance to play a men's open, give them a chance to play some highly competitive matches over the course of the weekend. Uh, You could just see on the players' faces how much joy they were having, how happy all of them were to be back in the tennis environment, to be around tournament grounds again, to see friends of theirs competing uh, side-by-side with them. I mean, there were just so many smiling faces. There was such good sportsmanship, such good character, everyone doing their best to follow the safety and health guidelines put in place so we can try our best to ensure the health and safety of all the participants in this past weekend's events. Uh, And of course, we were able to do it for a charitable cause as well, and that's the thing that's most important for us here at Cracked Rackets, to be able to be able to use tennis as a mechanism to help those currently on the front lines fighting the COVID-19 pandemic, to help our friends at Riley's Hospital, who again are dealing with so many COVID-19 cases. We were able to raise about $5,000 for them. We were able to uh, secure a donation of multiple cases of water from our friend at our friends at Voss Water to uh, those frontline workers to ensure they have all the resources they need uh, to get through this pandemic to help all of us as well with their continued work on the front lines. Again, uh, it's a cause we can very much get behind here at Cracked Rackets, and we are so grateful to all of you fans out there who took the initiative uh, to go to our website to donate as well. And a shout-out to Rajiv Ram, Ronnie Schneider, for participating in our Saturday morning charity event. It was so fun, again, to see so many fans socially distanced appropriately, of course, uh, but so many fans back outside again enjoying you know this game of tennis just enjoying being a part of that tennis community beating in that environment that's what cracked rackets is all about and so obviously for us it was a sensational weekend we are so again grateful for all those players who took the time to participate in the event all those fans all those media members anyone who took interest in the event as well and it's something we look forward to hopefully doing repeatedly over the future as soon as things get back to normal obviously we will try and do it with as much frequency as we can Uh, But obviously, given the extreme circumstances, we appreciate everyone who took the time to, again, participate in this weekend's event. And I have to say, as I mentioned, the field of players were exceptional. We had top juniors. You know, it sounds easy here, like I'm buttering up my boss. But, you know, Presley Fiedemann is one of the top recruits in the country, Northwestern bound. He played sensationally this weekend. We had uh, Nishesh Basavaredi, who's maybe the top 15-year-old in the world right now, junior Orange Bowl 14s champion, junior Clay. 
play uh, 14s, I should say, clay court champions last year. He was in the draw. We had uh, the number two player for Kentucky we had. And then, of course, two guys uh, who I am very intimately familiar with, given our coverage of college tennis here at Cracked Rackets, uh, Nick Beattie from the University of Michigan, who actually ended up winning our singles event. And Lucas Greif from the University of Florida, and I want to get back to Greif in a second. As I mentioned, we also had Ronnie Schneider in the draw. He fell to rising junior at Indiana. Patrick Fletchall, of course, the reason that's so funny is because Ronnie was the volunteer assistant. Uh, funny is the wrong word, but why that's so notable, I should say, is because Ronnie was the volunteer assistant at Indiana this past year, and I'm sure for Fletch to get that sort of win oh, was a big moment for him, but there were just so many talents talented tennis players in action. It was so fun to watch all of them compete. And as I mentioned, you know, two of my favorite performers of the weekend, obviously Nick Beattie, because he's part of our University of Michigan team. I say our, because I am a Michigan man always in my heart, despite my attempt to show as little bias as possible. But, you know, the player who really stuck out to me this weekend was Lucas Greif of the University of Florida. And he'll be a rising junior next year, but he's just one of the players on that immensely talented Florida men's tennis roster, who I will say frankly, over the past two years, each season coming into it, I probably thought was the favorite to take home the NCAA team championship in the spring. And pretty comfortable favorites as well, given the amount of talent they had on the roster. Oliver Crawford, Sam Riffis, uh, uh, at times Alfredo Perez, who was number one in the country in college, Johannes England, of course, as well, Andy Andrade, Duarte Valle, you know, you can go on and on and on, Josh Goodger, who they brought in this past year, the Cacciatore brothers, who else am I forgetting? You know, the crazy part is I'm definitely forgetting people, because that's how much talent this Florida roster had. Uh, Blaze Bicknell, I believe, is another one, and, you know, it's funny because I, I conducted this interview a couple of weeks ago, but when I watched Lucas Greif played, all I could think in my head is, oh, I now understand why during the interviews I did with Oliver Cross. Crawford and Sam Riffis, they said their favorite hitting partner throughout their time at Florida was Lucas Greif because his ground strokes are just impeccable, folks. But the point is that was on the top of my mind. And that's why I'm so excited to bring to you all today's guest, one of Lucas's teammates, one of the players I interviewed, in fact, an All-American in singles during this 2020 season, may have been an All-American in doubles as well with his partner, Sam Riffis, and one of, I will say, the most consequential players in men's college tennis over the past three seasons. Florida's Oliver Crawford joins the show to talk about, you know, what it was like to go through that coronavirus pandemic, the uncertainty that lingered through it all for him going into the season, knowing that it was going to be his last year at the University of Florida, uh, what that meant to him, you know, to know that that season was cut short, to know that he was going to be turning pro and he ultimately goes through with the decision to turn pro. Uh, you know, why he ended up making that decision, why he didn't feel a desire to come back right away, why he was ready to explore pro tennis. And then, of course, you know, I asked Oliver about his immensely successful junior career as well, what it was like growing up around the USTA, training in tennis full-time, what sort of commitment that means, you know, what he's doing and what he's sacrificing, you know, by spending that much time off the court or on the court and spending so much time devoted to tennis off of it as well. You know, what he sacrificed personally, and then, of course, how college tennis best prepared him for pro tennis, what the level differences are like, how he plans to get his game ready, and, of course, just some fun stories mixed in as well. It's all a terrific interview. I know all of you listeners are about to enjoy, Uh, but before we get to that interview, I have to let all of you know that these Cracked Interview podcasts and the ability for us to talk to so many excellent personalities throughout the tennis world are made possible due to the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports, and for more 
more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has been supporting tennis players around the globe by serving as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. They're able to do that because they offer a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping directly from their automated warehouse to your front door. They value innovation, and they have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. Maybe you don't know what those skills are. I'll tell you what. I was on the court this weekend, and after watching all of these exceptional players, I feel as lost about my game as ever because I saw them, and all I could think is, wow, my game doesn't do that. Is it my equipment? Am I not using the right stuff? What can I do? And I know that in case it is my equipment, and I'm going to blame the equipment for now and not my diminishing physical capabilities, which are clearly getting worse and worse by the day, I turn left, and I hear my hip crack, and I go, well, that's not good, but I suppose that's a me problem. That's not a you problem anyways if i blame the equipment which i am amped uh, frequently to do uh, i know that the well-trained staff at midwest sports are intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help me find that perfect racket perfect shoe or perfect clothing that is sure to put me ahead of the competition their selections of equipment are consistently first to market and they pride themselves in stocking their tennis warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices you can find more about all of these products by traveling to their website midwest sports Com. By doing that, you'll be able to work. Uh, you'll be able to get whatever you need to have your tennis game in a place to where, you, when you're making your return to the court, you are going to bring your most successful tennis. And the good news is, by using our promo code CR15, you'll get an additional 15% off already off of Midwest Sports's ex- already, I should say, exceptional prices. You'll also get free shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty tennis balls. Because again. Midwest Sports wants to make sure you have everything you need for when you make your return to the tennis court. So go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, let them know we sent you there. We are so appreciative of the support we get from our friends. The least we can do is ask you to support them as well. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15. All right, with that being said, let's get to my interview with All-American from the 2020 season and a staple of men's college tennis over these past three years, University of Florida's Oliver Crawford. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast today, you may know him from his role the last three years on the University of Florida men's tennis team. He was an All-American last season and one of seven players to be All-American in both singles and doubles during the 2020 Division I men's tennis season. Of course, he's also the guy responsible for bringing back skies out, thighs out policy to the University of Florida men's tennis team. Oliver Crawford, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you. Thank you for having me. All is well. I feel like you are the king of the short shorts when it comes to college tennis. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I've got those, but um, I guess I do like 
do like those more than the longer ones. <laughs> no, it's a good look. It works. It, uh, I feel like it fits your persona well. And, you know, I do want to talk today about your time at the University of Florida, about, you know, your start with the game of tennis. But let's start with the less fun question first. Obviously, we were all shocked when the 2020 season was stopped short due to the coronavirus pandemic. I'm curious for you in particular. I know you had told the team before the season that this was going to be your last year at Florida no matter what. So, you know, I'm curious, as, you know, cancellations started to emerge as the season was taken away, what was your reaction? What were those few days like for you? Yeah, no, it was obviously very tough for me. Um, I've enjoyed playing at the University of Florida um, for the last three years. Uh, it's been the best decision I've made in my life. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely a tough um, process to go through that, realizing that I will not get to step back on court with those guys and, and wear a uniform, the Gator uniform, and, and play with them. Um, so it took a few days um, to really let that sink in, and it was a pretty emotional time for me and obviously the rest of the guys and the rest of the college athletes in the country. Um, so no, yeah, it was it was definitely a, a pretty tough uh, a tough few days, but but it's it is what it is. Mm-hmm. How I'm curious, how did you find out the news? Was it from Coach Shelton? Was it from another player? You know, what did that look like for you? We um had. Uh, see, that morning, that Thursday morning, we were um, getting ready to play George on the Friday. I was actually getting in the uh, training room, getting fitted for insoles. Um, and we were still on to play. Um, and our girls were supposed to go to, um, I guess it was, I think they were supposed to go to Georgia um, at 8 o'clock in the morning. And they were held off until noon. And at noon, they were going to be made a decision. Um, so I guess when I got it um to the facility around noon because I was waiting for the decision as well. Um, they said we will not play that match, um, and so um, I guess coach had a call with the with the athletic director and all the other coaches. Um, and then after practice um, in the locker room, like around four o'clock, they had said NCAA's had been canceled. So everything was kind of getting canceled: golf tournaments, uh, NBA stuff, like all that stuff was in. Every 30 minutes, new things were happening. So, um, yeah, it was a real shock. I didn't really know how to react, um, except just we were all in the locker room, and someone read out a tweet, um, and the coaches walked in, and and that was kind of the end of it all. Um, They hadn't said anything about the SEC, so I was still hopeful that we were going to get at least one more match, just if if that was it. Um, But, yeah, then I guess sooner than later, that ended up being canceled. Um, and then the next day, we weren't even allowed to practice as a team. We were going to have a kind of like a last hoorah dual match uh, split into two teams and play. Um, so that was pretty emotional. And then we ended up having our end of season meeting that Friday. Um, and then that was it. So, yeah, it kind of was a whirlwind of emotions and just all happened pretty fast. Um, and so it, it sunk in. I, I wouldn't have said until three or four days after that 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 was it. Um, and I end up, I guess, leaving Gainesville on that maybe Tuesday or whatever. So, yeah, it was it was a pretty emotional time for sure. Mm-hmm. I imagine it was pretty chaotic as well. The idea of you know finishing up classes and just getting everyone on your team home, ensuring you know your international teammates can get back safely. Was it you know was it chaos? It was chaos. Um, but our coaching staff did a great job of of being there for everyone. Um. And in that end of season meeting, we obviously talked about the emotional side and all what each other meant to each other and, and stuff like that. But then, yeah, they, they, they kind of were going to sit down with players and if, if the international guys figure out a plan for them, the best way for them 
um, to get home or whether it was to stay in Gainesville. And some of them stayed in Gainesville and some of them went home immediately. Um, and others that um, lived in the country would were staying for a few weeks or, or whatever. Um, so, so yeah, everyone, everyone came up with a plan pretty quickly and then, and then just kind of did their own thing and, and, and stayed safe. And, and that was, and that was that. So, yeah, no, and hopefully all of your teammates and you are staying safe and healthy throughout this time. And for you personally, again, to sort of switch gears here, uh, you announced before the season to your teammates that this was going to be your last year. What was the thinking process you know, behind that decision? Why did you want your teammates to know before the season that it was going to be your last year? And, you know, ultimately, why was this going to be your last season in college? Yeah. Um, well, I, I decided that over Christmas break or a little bit during the fall that um, I thought mentally and physically I was ready to go, um, go play professional tennis. And, and that's always been obviously a passion and a dream of mine. So um, I sat down with my family over Christmas break and we talked a bunch about it. Um, and we just di- decided that, that this will be the last semester, that last spring semester for me. Um, and I'll move forward into the, the pro pro tennis um so that was the decision my family and I made and other coaches close to me and um some other family friends um and then I wanted to announce it to the coaching staff first when I got back on campus just because I wanted to respect the program and not at the end of this season just say okay I'm done and not have them able to fill a spot for the for the upcoming year and scholarship money or whatever so it was more out of respect to the program that I didn't just kind of leave them empty-handed at the end of the year, um, especially if I was so confident in my decision. Um, and then obviously tell my teammates because I wanted to be the first to tell them. And obviously the word would have spread pretty quickly um, if it had been told but to too many people. Um, so I kept it really um, low-key over over uh, Christmas break, and then I went straight to the coaching staff first day back, um, told all three coaches, and then the next day I told all the team. Um, we just kind of talked about it. Um, and and then and they they had my back and like I always have their back and and they were they were comfortable with the decision and 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 supported me just like I support them so no there was really no no problems or anything which was it was it was great yeah no if you tell too many people Parsa finds out and then the whole (laughs) world knows so you definitely had to be a little bit careful there um you know you talk about pursuing pro tennis that's going always a dream of yours but I'm curious was there a certain litmus test in your mind you had to pass to make that decision to turn pro I know you had some success this summer got to play some pro results at the end of 2019 in the fall as well was it something you saw there was it your level of tennis you know what ultimately drove you to that decision that I'm ready to play professionally yeah I mean I think the looking at the futures level and the, the challenges level and thinking I, I think I can compete with those guys guys on a daily basis um kind of led me to the decision and um and mentally and physically I felt ready um and so yeah I just decided that that this would be my time and, and I was going to give it my best go and, and see how hard I could work and, and how how what I could go, could accomplish Mm-hmm. Uh, Having played the number one singles position last year and then getting to go right from there to the futures, to the challengers level, how different is the level of tennis between the two? Um, it, it's hit or miss, I would say. I mean, the, everyone, everyone at college has their number one player is, is going to be is going to be very good no matter what team you play. Um, so that was that was something that I had to learn um, at, during that season was to dealing with losses and bouncing back the next day or whatever it was. Um so I felt like playing number one the entire season, going through some tough losses, having to bounce back against another tough opponent the next day or the next 
two days or whatever it may be, um, it really prepared me for the pro tennis because obviously, especially at the beginning of the pro tennis, you're not going to be winning a lot of the time or, or most of the time or whatever that may be. Um, so I think that prepared me mentally and that's what helped me most on the mental side of it all. Um, and then I felt like my level was there. I felt like I could compete with the college guys. I felt like I could compete with the guys in the futures and challenger circuit. Um, and I just felt, yeah, I just felt ready to go. Do you think it's a bigger jump physically or mentally making that uh, transition from college to pros? I think it's going to be a mental, um, mental decision to be more mental than anything. Honestly, um, I think, yeah, just dealing with dealing with losses, dealing with travel, um, dealing with not everything being perfect um, with your travel schedule, going with not as not not all the funds and, and traveling in housing and stuff like that. Um, I think I think that's going to be the more mental side. And obviously now you're doing it for a complete living. So um, I think mental will be tough, um, but I'm prepared for it and, and looking forward to it and, and super excited when this all this whole thing passes over and be ready to go. Yeah. I, I, again, and I'm curious not to second guess your decision because I, for whatever it's worth, I think you're ready for pro tennis. I agree with you. Um, but, you know, given the uncertainty of the coronavirus pandemic, I don't think any of us can honestly say we know exactly when pro tennis is going to make its return. Was there any doubt for you, you know, towards the end of the season? Did you think, oh, maybe I should come back for one more year just because I'm not sure what the pros are going to look like? Yeah, um, no, it never really crossed my mind, to be honest. And it's funny because a lot of people have told me that's an interesting time to decide on going pro, Oliver. Are you sure, <laughs> are you sure, are you sure that's the, uh, the, the smart decision? Um, and so, no, I, I mean, when these tournaments come back on, um, I'll be ready to play um, and, and ready to go for it. Um, and I'm not sure, obviously, just like the rest of the world, when, when this will happen. But um, when it does, I'll be prepared and, and, and give it my best go. Yeah, let let's stick there for a second. Obviously, we are all being you know in quarantine right now. No one's practice schedule, no one's tournament schedule, no one's life schedule looks the same as it did prior to all of this. But for you right now, have you been able to continue to train? You know, are you taking this sort of period as an off period, or have you worked as though it's an off season and you know you're getting ready for pro tennis? Yeah, um, so it's kind of funny, um, or not funny, but my dad actually got the virus. Um, and so oh, we were in lockdown, lockdown quarantine for about two or three weeks um, right when I got back um, from college. Um, so he had the virus for two or three weeks. So we were completely locked down. Um, and so I got a couple of weights and I was working out of my house and we were allowed one um, ne- necessary um, trip to the grocery store a day with masks on and only one of us could go. So those first three weeks were pretty tough um, just because – we couldn't really do much at all. Um, and so I ended up that three weeks or two weeks, whatever it was, ended up becoming pretty lazy, just waking up at whatever time and, and doing one workout um, and getting my work done, but um, was not very efficient or, or productive, I would say, because maybe just because I couldn't be. So I decided after when I was allowed out and, and safe to be back out in, in, in some outside world contact that I was going to be as productive as I could. So I um, ended up teaching a bunch of lessons. I uh, was doing waking up in the morning, 8 a.m., doing a, doing a workout for an hour or so, then teaching four or so hours of tennis lessons to people around Spartanburg, um, and then having a practice in the afternoon, um, and then probably playing a little golf in the evening. Um, but yeah, I tried to be as productive as I possibly could once I got out of that quarantine period just because I, I wasn't so productive 
while I was in it completely in the complete lockdown. So, so yeah, I've made the most of my time played some days, 45 holes of golf or whatever <laughs> that may be. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely doing more than I was, which is good. Um, it, no definite win. Are you walking the course as well? Get that cardio in. Sometimes we're walking, sometimes sometimes we're driving. So, yeah, it's one person <laughs> per cart, so it's not even that fun when you're driving around because you can't even talk to the person you're playing with. And um, a few days it's been rainy the day before, so it's cart path rule only. So you end up walking just about as much as if you were if you were taking your bag with you. But sometimes we just get a couple clubs and we just walk a four or five holes and walk that a few times at about 6 o'clock when everyone else is pretty much in So with a couple balls. So we just kind of go out and hit around and, and have a good time. Yeah, no, that sounds fun, and hopefully your dad is now healthy. He's feeling good? Yeah, he's back to normal. Um, like He lost 20 pounds, so he was pretty pumped about that, but um, I think he's slowly putting that back on, and he's getting he's getting, uh, he's getting getting better by the day. So, yeah, no, he's back to normal. That's glad. I'm glad to hear that, and I feel like for all of us at this point, yeah, to, you know, again, thankfully he is healthy, but the weight, the weight gain's real. I feel like we're all making those extra trips to the fridge. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's for half sure. the fun. I'm curious for you, teaching lessons, does that, you know, I'm sure the quality of kid you're hitting with while fine is not the level you are used to, but do you find ways to improve while you're teaching? Um, so the people I've been teaching are more like got men that are older, maybe 50 or 60, that just want a bit of a hit around and, and to run around and, and enjoy enjoy some tennis. Um, so not necessarily with them. And then I have a, like a, I had a younger girl, 11-year-old girl that I was working with. Um, but I had one, um, teenage guy that I was hitting with, um, every so often. So I got a good workout out of that. Um, but no, I think it was more for me, it was learning how to teach. Um, and it learned, I learned stuff about myself that I didn't even really know tennis wise, because I don't think about some of the stuff that I was trying to teach. Um, so I don't think about obviously some of the movements I make on a tennis court or the way I hit a tennis ball that maybe didn't make sense to them. So teaching them, it taught me stuff, um, about how I hit and, and things like that. Um, and then I just enjoyed seeing them improve on a daily basis. I worked with a younger girl four, four or five times a week for a couple hours a day. Um, and it was just fun in seeing her improve and, and, and getting out there and pushing her. And, and so, no, it was, it, was a, it was a pretty enjoyable experience for me for sure. Would you describe yourself more as Coach Tanner or Coach Shelton? Ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm as tough as Shelton, but um, – <laughs> Yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean, no, I was, I mean, they were, they were, we were just hitting around, so I wasn't very serious. <laughs> we were just having a good time. I was making sure they were enjoying themselves and getting a good enough workout in. So maybe, maybe Tanner in this aspect, not, not that he's, not that he's too easy, but, but um, maybe a little less serious, I would say. Yeah, no, that definitely sounds like uh, Coach Stump. And, uh, you know, to get back to this Florida season, again, with it being your last season, and I had the chance to talk to Sam yesterday and ask him a couple of questions about this. But, you know, had this 2020 season been played, ten, there were 10 singles flights, and you got to play guys 1 through 10 on the roster, I think it's safe to say a lot of people would have thought your Florida team would run away with it, just the depth you guys had this year. But having that much talent on the roster going into this season, uh, do you think it made things more difficult for you guys just getting things going, finding that groove, finding out who should play where? You know, Was it almost more difficult to have 10 incredible guys as opposed to maybe 6, 7, 8 guys? Yeah, see, for me, it's 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 funny because obviously, on a daily basis, on a practice day, when you have that many good players that you can 
everyone hits with and everyone everyone um all all 12 of us can hit with each other and and give each other a good workout and stuff um that for me is what helped us improve on the daily basis when you talk about matchups and lineups and stuff i i'm not sure if it hurt but it definitely puts more pressure on the five and six spots just knowing that if they don't win and if even if they don't win comfortably that there's a potential that they could get swapped or 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 whatever um so yeah i think i think I, talking to a lot of those the, the guys that were down at the five and six hole or even seven and eight hole, um, talking to them, it definitely I definitely just try to give them as much confidence in themselves, and, and so does the coaching staff and the rest of the team, and everyone's supportive of everyone. We're twelve men strong the entire year, um, and whether you're playing or not, you're still supporting. Um, so no, the guys do a great job about it. I just think maybe sometimes they would get a little bit nervous about what ifs if they don't win or if they don't win comfortably and so on. So it could hurt, but it also, I think, helped a lot in the long run as well. Mm -hmm. And for you, as someone who was a junior captain and whose spot in the lineup was a little more solidified, but, you know, I'm sure you want to breed the sort of competition in practice that will get the best results from your team come match time. How did you work on balancing, ensuring things remain competitive? Because I'm sure the practice level was quite high. And then, you know, also making sure off the court, you guys were clicking on all levels so that the chemistry could be where it needed to be. Yeah, no, I mean the 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 level of practice was very intense. Um, the the Florida coaching staff does a great job of of keeping it very intense, but then also times mixing in some fun games and things like that um, when 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 we're working very hard or whatever. Um, so no, yeah, everyone everyone just kind of bought in, um, and and that's kind of in the last two years, for sure, especially everyone just really bought in to the fact that we're going to be a very good team, and there's going to be players that don't play every match. Um, and, and, and you just got to deal with it and, and roll with the punches. Um, so, no, everyone everyone did a great job in that aspect of it all. Mm-hmm. And for you guys, this season you came in as the number one team in the country and you were 15-3 and three when the year ended. Um, you know, uh, let's start with the beginning of the season. Being the number one preseason team, getting a home match against defending national champion Texas. I know the match didn't end up going your way, but playing in that sort of environment it was a packed house first match of the season you know how special of a moment is that in your college tennis career regardless of the result yeah no that's one I'll remember um for sure you know playing at night under the lights with a bunch of fans in the stadium um will be one I remember for sure it was it was an incredible match um could have gone obviously either way um and the emotions there and looking back on some of the highlights and stuff from that match um, it was, it, yeah, it was an incredible, it was an incredible night. Um, just came up a bit short. Mm-hmm. How do playing those matches compare to playing, you know, finals or semifinals of a futures event versus, you know, playing at a challenger event? I feel like just the crowds, the atmosphere, it must be incredible. Yeah, no, the atmosphere in, in those type of matches and, and what it's at stake um, for the winner. Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's an incredible, um, incredible experience for sure. Um, and, and comparing it to a future, obviously in a future, there's not going to be nearly as many people um, and not as many people cheering as loudly for you or against you. Um, so the emotions are definitely not as high, I would say, um, but obviously both pretty cool um, matches to be playing in. 
Mm-hmm. And for your team this year, again, 15-3, and three, I think your losses were that Texas match to North Carolina, and then uh, right before the season ended, you guys lost at Texas A&M. I'm curious, how were you feeling uh, about the season? Did you guys feel any maybe additional pressure at the beginning of this year that you haven't felt in years past? And, you know, as the season was tr- progressing, did you guys still think, you know, you were absolutely competitors to bring home the national title? Yeah, I think at the beginning of the season, obviously being ranked number one, we had a meeting about it. Um, we talked about it, um, and that's and a preseason ranking one didn't really mean much to us because that's just what someone thinks we should be on paper. Um, we still wanted to go out there and prove to the rest of the country that we could be that spot. Um, and so, yeah, um, we obviously didn't do that at every match we played, um, but we were going to get better as the season went along, I was sure. we had a ma- After the A&M match, we all had a meeting down in, at the – at the facility right after the match and, and we just talked about what we didn't do well and, and how we can improve and, and I could see the look in the boys' eyes and the coaches' eyes that we were we were gonna bounce back um, bounce back from that loss for the better. Um, and that was the biggest shame for me not being able to finish um, the season was because I wanted to see how everyone bounced back and how resilient we could be throughout the rest of the season um, with the few losses we had had already. Um, mm. So yeah that was that was that for me was the biggest shame not being able to, I guess, maybe finish on a higher note or um, whatever. But uh, that it is what it is. Yeah, and no, look, you guys had a ton of talent. And you've been on some good teams during your time in Florida. Your freshman year, you guys make the quarterfinals play an incredible quarterfinal match against Texas A&M that they ended up taking 4-3 last year. You know, semifinals, you lose to Texas, who goes on to win the title. There's no shame in that, obviously. But, you know, how did you feel about this year's team, you know, in comparison to those years? Because, again, talent-wise, on paper, as you mentioned, and it's still just paper, but this roster was as impressive as you're going to find yeah no that's yeah i mean that that was that's the biggest shame in not managing to finish Um, obviously there's going to be other teams in the country that are going to be very good as well um for sure um but yeah no i'd I'd love to to see how it played out um finish the secs um going to the sec tournament and then hopefully from there had some confidence moving forward i think that's what we did very well um my sophomore years we had confidence because we didn't lose many matches uh, we lost, I guess, one match since um, the NCAA indoors, um, and we just we just kind of rolled with it, um, and so that was uh, um, and so that was it. And then we had obviously lost to Texas, uh, Tennessee, so we, that fueled our fire, um, and we were in a pretty good spot going into NCAA's after a couple wins and getting to the final destination, in Orlando. Um, so yeah, I would, I would I would obviously as a competitor love to see it see it end and 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 see a winner regardless. Um, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as someone who is a competitor, as spirited of a player as you're going to find across the country, I'm curious for you, um, just again, competing in college tennis and bringing the noise, which I think is something safe to say that you do day in, day out. Um, you know, what has that done from your game? Just, you know, centering your energy and focusing it and, you know, trying to use it to inspire the team. How has that helped your tennis game? Yeah, it's funny because it wasn't something I necessarily would do in a future or in the juniors or whatever. But um, being, I guess, in one of the middle courts in the facility, um, people can hear you from all sides of the stadium. So that was something I had to learn um, when I was when I was a freshman at school is is that it's not obviously just about you, which I knew. Um, And so it was about obviously if you win your match, it's it's not necessarily that you're going to win the team match. So. No matter whether I was winning or losing, I was going to be there in every single point cheering on the guys beside me and, and trying to keep 
a positive energy um, that was contagious throughout. Um, and so in my tennis, I think it helped as well. Um, I think it kept me upbeat, um, pretty positive. Um, so, yeah, it was, I think it was a pretty good pretty good mix. Has Coach Shell never come to you during a match and be like, yeah, Oliver, you know, you, you, can, you, can, you don't have to say anything this game. Just This is a silent changeover. Uh, no, no, he's he's always he's always trying to vocalize to me that that we need you to be not over over like over in, over loud or whatever or being too loud or whatever. But he he definitely wants me to um to to inspire the guys beside me and and keep an upbeat um attitude and and a, and a good body language throughout the entire match. Has Sam ever been like, dude? I heard this during doubles. I don't need to hear it again. Uh, Sam, Sam's Sam's funny. He's he, it, it it is funny <laughs> with him. He. He can be sometimes somewhat negative, but it's all for the good. He's 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 a great great competitor, and once you step on the court with him in in a in a match situation, um, he, he's going to give you all he's got and some. So, so no, yeah, competing with Sam mm-hmm. on a doubles court and, and beside him on a singles court was something I'll never forget for sure. Yeah, no, I mean I remember distinctly that freshman year, your match you played against Kipson in that quarterfinal, and you just took it to him. And I remember thinking, this kid came to play today. This is going to be a fun college tennis career. And for you, uh, you know, having your personality be embraced on the team, how much of that comes back to uh, you know the trust that you have in Coach Shelton, in Coach Stump, to you know put you in the best position to succeed, and how important was that trust in your decision to go to Florida? stay there and have those coaches be the ones responsible, you know, for helping you develop. Yeah, that was, they were the main reason I went to the university of Florida. Um, Shelton, um, was primarily the main reason I went to the university of Florida. I remember sitting down with my coach in the juniors, Kelly Jones, that used to be at Furman. Now is at USTA. And we kind of went through the list and, and talked about where I would go to school. Um, and he kind of, we went through the list and, and he talked about all the colleges, um, and he circled Florida a couple times, and the rest of them, he didn't circle as hard. And, and we trusted Kelly, and and, um, and so when I got back in the call with my dad, he goes, so what did you think about that conversation? I said, well, what do you mean what I think? It looks like I'm going to Florida, right? Um, <laughs> and so I didn't, even, I didn't even take a recruiting trip to Florida um, before I had com- verbally committed to go there. Um, I was that confident in Kelly, and I was that confident in, in, in Coach Shelton. Um, and and having, after having a few conversations on the phone, I was sold. There wasn't really much you needed uh, needed else to say. So they came and had an in-home visit, um, and, and that was it. We we made the decision pretty short after that. So, and I and I mm-hmm. and I can say it was the best decision I ever made for sure. How how different is the contrast between Tanner and Brian? It's different, but it's 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 funny because all three coaches at Florida are are very different personality wise, but they complement each other very well. Um, so yeah, um, Coach P and Tanner are definitely, I guess, would say a little more laid back, um, and Coach Shelton obviously um, is just, just kind of a, a hard ball and, and just kind of keeps pushing you every single day and, and doesn't really take much, um, and just keeps and just keeps giving you keep giving it to you um, on a daily basis. And and the other coaches um, compliment Coach Shelton very well. So no, it's a great it's a great um, college coaching atmosphere for sure. 
Yeah, I'm convinced Coach Shelton's so skinny because he's so intense all the time. It's just sweating through shirts, and that's how, that's how he stays in shape. Um, for you, because I believe you were a guy who trained full-time at the USTA, and I'm curious, you know, uh, that transition to being a, you know, a student athlete at the University of Florida, being on campus there, what was that transition like for you? Was it more difficult to transition tennis-wise or, you know, uh, uh, academic-wise? Yeah, um, it was, I was at USTA, um, pretty much full time, but I'd be going back home after events and stuff. So I had, um, a good, good social life with all my friends back home. Um, so I had a pretty good mix in the juniors, um, and then transferring to college, it was more the, just managing my time well with my academics and, and, and my tennis and, and hanging out with friends and, and stuff like that. Um, but no, I, I had, I had a great support staff through it all. Um, and, and the transition and, and great friends. And so the transition wasn't too terribly tough for me, I wouldn't say. Um, yeah, no, it was, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that tough at all. Mm-hmm. How uh, difficult was it to learn to ride a moped? Yeah, no, that was, um, that was pretty, pretty interesting for the beginning. I didn't have one until middle of uh, my freshman year. I think right before Christmas break, uh, when I was, I'm actually really good friends with all the golfers at Florida. Um, so I spent all my freshman year pretty much hanging out with them in their dorm and I ended up living with golfers, um, my sophomore and junior year in a house. Um, so I became pretty close with them, but a guy on the team at the, on the golf team was, uh, leaving, um, transferring for, um, the spring semester, my freshman year and had to get rid of a moped. And so I bought it off of him for a pretty good price. And then, yeah, just kind of taught myself how to do it. I had a driver's license, so I just had to go to the DMV and get, um, some of the paperwork and and then it took maybe a couple practice runs and then I was and then I was pretty good at it so it was it's not terribly tough to be honest is Gainesville a moped city it is it is a moped city if you don't have a moped you're almost frowned upon so um (laughs) so yeah no everyone pretty much everyone on the team had a moped um Sam and a couple other guys try to stick it out with a bike um I told him not to I told him to try and invest in a moped rather than even a bike um and they and I, I could he would never admit it to me, Sam, but I know he wished he added a moped. Um, so he would never admit, but I know I know he wished he did. So mm-hmm. and I know Sam was a guy at USTA who maybe a year younger than you, but I'm sure you got to hit with a ton him and Kipson and Gianni Ross, that whole crew uh, for you. You know, I'm curious, A, how did you end up making this, the decision to train at USTA and then be, you know, to go to college and have Sam come there as well? You know, how cool was that to get to play uh, with him on your team? Yeah, no, the USTA, yeah, it was awesome because I got to travel around with those guys um, probably multiple weeks of every year so it was it was incredible traveling with them um and then yeah going to going to florida and then and then managing to get sam to come there with me obviously sam has been a lifelong buddy of mine in the tennis world um so when we had some conversations about florida and he came to the match in orlando um and things like that and and then he committed it was it was a pretty cool experience for both of us obviously for him getting to come to florida and for me to get to to play by him on a daily basis for two years was was an experience for sure Mm-hmm. And when did you realize, because, you know, USTA and through Florida, when did you commit to tennis? When did you realize playing professionally would, might be something you'd be interested in? 
playing professionally, I don't know. I used to play all the sports until I was about 12 or 13. Um, I was on an AAU basketball team, a city league football team, and a travel baseball league. So tennis became the last because it was the individual sport. So the practices were individual, but I had to be there for the team practices. Um, so I did well at Kalamazoo when I think I was – I must have been – 15 at when I did well at Kalamazoo I was 15 but I think I stopped everything when I was 12 or 13 um and played and played um fully tennis and so then obviously when you started playing tennis seriously then obviously it became a passion to be a professional tennis player um but then once I did started doing well um in the juniors my 17 when I was 17 and 18 then I really thought okay this could maybe be something I could do um and then yeah just kept working on a daily basis and and I guess here we are (laughs) <laughs> no kidding. Um, yeah, I, I think you reached something, what was a number nine career high in the ITF junior rankings. And you talk about Kalamazoo, you made the quarterfinals in 2014 of the 16s. And then 2015 in the 18s, you made the fifth round uh, before losing to Tommy Paul. And this is a random tidbit, but I remember being at that match. And I remember, I think that was the first time I ever saw you play and just thinking, damn, like this kid is rock solid. Was there a moment in the juniors where, as you know, you sort of alluded to it there, but where you bought in, where you realized, you know what, I I could be pretty good at this sport if I commit to it full time? Yeah, I mean, I think when I got, I think I got, was it maybe the semifinals at Kalamazoo in the 16s when I thought, okay, well, this is this is pretty surprising because I was doing, doing pretty well there. Um, but then also, once I was doing pretty well in the juniors, like you said, I got pretty high in the junior rankings. Once I once I was competing with those guys and I knew those guys were going pro, um, and now seeing how some of those guys that I was competing with, how they've done, um, it gives you confidence, I would say, um, and, and, and some belief that, that maybe that could be you one day. So, yeah, I just kept working, and, and, and that was it. Mm-hmm. How much of tennis is confidence? I think it's a ton of confidence. Um, yeah, I'm a different player when I'm a confident player com- um, compared to a not, not, not feeling good on the day or, or an unconfident, whatever. Um, so yeah, I would say confidence plays a huge role. Um, and that's why you see some of these guys that have a good week, have two or three more good weeks. Um, so yeah, confidence, I would say is a huge, huge key. Mm-hmm. And to sort of get back to college tennis, I do want to ask you about some of the matches you played over the past couple of years. Uh, your team last season, twenty-five and four. Uh, I think you, you know, you lost a couple of matches at the national indoors, but then you guys run the gauntlet through the SEC schedule. And I'm curious, you know, to go undefeated during the SEC season, what does that mean for a Florida team? And then, you know, ultimately, oh, I want to talk about the Tennessee matches at the end, but let's start, I guess, with you know going undefeated through a regular season what does that do for a team's confidence yeah i mean that was that was incredible um the confidence that we had i don't think we even had a four three in that spe- in that stretch um we were kind of rolling teams everyone was feeling good everyone was playing confidently when one guy didn't win that day everyone had his back and patted him on the back and said hey we got another match on sunday or another match next friday or whatever it was um and and the daily the daily look it had in the locker room and on the practice courts um, was pretty cool to see. Um, just everyone obviously had all bought in to the process, and, and we were just we were just working, and, and we were just having our own goals in our mind, and, and just trying to just try and go as, as as do as well as we could. Mm-hmm. 
And then I would argue the best two-match sequence of the 2019 season was your two matches at the end of the year with Tennessee. Let's start with the conference tournament semifinals because you're playing at home. Again, another sold-out Florida crowd. You guys drop the doubles point, then you, Alfredo Duarte, end up winning your matches to go up 3-1. You know, again, I, I know that match didn't go your way, but playing through a moment like that, playing a match like that, you know, how do those moments, you know, A, what is that moment like for you personally? And B, how do those moments prepare you for the pro tour? Yeah, I mean, that's a moment that I'll never forget. Um, you know, we, uh, I mean, Alfredo and I got rocked in doubles. We didn't we didn't see the ball um, longer than probably 20 minutes before we had lost. <laughs> I think it was 6-1 or 6-2. Same thing with the other court. I'm pretty sure they lost pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, I just we just huddled the guys around. Sam and I just huddled the guys around and said, look, they got to win another three three singles matches to win today. So let's make it that's extremely tough for them to do it. Um, and so we managed to put three quick points on the board, um, all in straight sets. Um, I think Duarte, Alfredo, and then I managed to put another point on the board. So that was 3-1. So then obviously you're feeling pretty good, especially with the guys you still got out there. You got Sam, um, Sam, Andy, um, and I think Lucas. Um, and so you're, you're feeling pretty confident about who's still out there, um, and it didn't go our way. Um, and, and that's, I guess, at the end of the day, that's sports. Um, and then and then seeing them chomp, I guess, in our face in front of our fans, I can can be honest, I, I didn't really blame them for it because um, I probably would have done the same thing. So I just shook all their hands, walked back to the locker room, and it was probably a pretty upsetting uh, meeting then. Um, but, no, we were ready for them the next time, I would say, for sure. Obviously, we saw them in the draw. And there was not one guy that doubted themselves or was scared to play them. We were, we were fired up of anything. Um, and so, yeah, we got to see him again and uh, flip the script a little bit. Um, I was, was it particularly sweet when you saw that you might draw them in the round of 16? Yeah, no, I mean, that was, I mean, that was something that I got chills just seeing on a, on a TV screen. Um, just seeing that, that, okay, we got another shot at these boys. Um, and the same thing with the rest of the guys. You could see the look in their eyes, like, they looked hungry and, and, and ready to go back back on a practice court and work again. So, no, we were we were, we were were super fired up for that match, but super fired up for the in, entire tournament. And obviously, we focused on the teams before them. And then once we got to them, we prepared for them and, and, and were able to be successful in that match. Mm-hmm. And I what people may not remember about that round of 16 matches, again, it was 4-2, but it was moments away from being 3-all again, and I know, uh, I believe it was in your second set that you rolled your ankle, that Lucas in his second set rolled his ankle. Um, I, I guess for you, because you know the first match, you're, you win pretty quickly, and you're watching. The second match, you're still playing as the match is concluding. What's more difficult, playing that high-pressure match or watching that high-pressure match? No, for me, it's watching. Uh, I oh, enjoy it's horrible. It. Yeah, no, I, I, I hate watching those. I hate watching those matches because um, I guess at the end of the day, you don't have really any control on how that finishes. Um, but no, I'd, I'd, I'd way rather be if we lose the match, me being the guy that was in that situation, just because I, I thoroughly enjoy that situation, um, being, being in that, in that situation, able to win it for your team. Um, and I think most college players do. I think that's. That's why you come to college to play tennis is to be in those big high pressure matches and, and, and perform for your team and, and put them on your back in those situations. So, yeah, um, that was a pretty, pretty scary match for sure. Um, Duarte luckily managed to pull that one out in a, in a third set buster. Um, but 
yeah, there, um, I think Lucas had, had gone down and he wasn't really able to do much about it. He had turned his ankle and I had turned my knee um, during that match in the, uh, in the beginning of the third set. So, yeah, I was hobbling around um, and just trying to honestly stay out there as long as I could to not put um, too much pressure on Duarte to actually have to get a do- job done thinking he potentially has one more match to if, if, if he doesn't manage to get it. Um, so, yeah, I managed to come back and break back, I guess, late in that third set. Um, and then by then he got over the hump and, and won the match. Um, so, yeah, sweaty hugs all around. It was good. <laughs> yeah, it sounds delightful. And, no, it was clear, uh, you know, doubles was something you guys struggled with. But you had obviously made that transition, gotten a lot better as a team this year in doubles. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, getting to work on things like that, getting to play the pressure moments of no-ad scoring, uh, I guess actually just to stick with the no-ad, does playing those no-ad points help you prepare? Because you go back to the pro circuit and it's regular scoring, right? There are deuce points and ads, and you sort of have a little bit more time to grind your way out of trouble. But, you know, how is that adjustment? Does no-ad help prepare you, uh, you think, to play the big points better in pro tennis? It for sure does, because the 40-30 point ends up becoming a bigger point than you would think if it didn't, if you had... um add if you could play add as well um so yeah um it you you it does it makes it makes every point count um being down 30 level you get it back to 30 15 or 15 30 whatever it is um every point becomes a little bit more important because you never know what happens on a no add point it could be a let court um it could be just um a lucky backhand winner whatever that may be um so yeah everything everything becomes a little bit more intense and a little bit more pressure Mm-hmm. And uh, last serious question for you, and then I want to end with a rapid fire. But, you know, for you in particular now, again, turning pro uh, and as you work your way into the professional ranks, what are, you know, what are the things you are still working on most in your game that you need to see as, you know, that you want to improve as you transition to pro tennis full time? Um, the serve and, serve and return, I would say, um, is something that I could definitely improve. Um, my first serve. Um, is definitely one of the big things that I'm I'm working on on a daily basis, um, and obviously getting to that next level is that to have a, a, an effective serve is what is is very key. So, serve and return, I would say for sure. All right, yeah, that's interesting to hear. Well, all right, with that in mind, Oliver, I want to do one last thing with you: a rapid fire series of questions. Ask you a little bit about your time in quarantine, a little bit about your teammates as well. That work for you? Sounds good. All right, let's do it. Let's start with this question. Uh, let's start teammates-wise. During your time in Florida, your three years, who is your favorite player to practice with? I liked hitting with Lucas Greif. He had a really good ball. Um, yeah, warming up with him, he's, he's a top priority to get, to get on a warm-up court. Um, so I'd say yeah. Lucas Greif. I was going to say, you are not the first Florida player to say that. What, he just doesn't miss? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've seen in match situations. He doesn't miss, <laughs> and most balls seem to end up becoming into the strike zone. So... Um, obviously, when he gets in a match situation, he manages to mix it up a little bit better. Um, but when you're just hitting, he likes to stand pretty close to the baseline and just hammer balls back and forth with you. Um, and it's a pretty good tempo and rhythm. So, yeah, I would say uh, Lucas Greif. No, for sure. Uh, who's the best to go out with? Ooh. Um, 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 I don't know if I should answer that. Um, <laughs> I'd, say maybe, I'd, say, I'd say maybe the golfers, if anyone, to be honest. <laughs> They're pretty chill dudes. Good good to hang out with, for sure. That's fine. I'll accept that answer. Who's got the grossest tennis bag? Johannes Ingelson. Everything. The grossest <laughs> everything. He's got the ripe banana just expiring in the bottom. 
Yeah, I mean, you, there's no telling what's in his locker and his tennis bag. There's no telling. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, I guess, do you still, I don't know why you would, but maybe participate in the team Zoom calls? Yeah, yeah. No, I do. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, as, as long as they'll have me, I guess. But, um, no, I, I, I talk to these guys on group group messages and group chats and stuff with them. So um, I try to keep talking to them, and if they ever need anything, um, be there for them. So, yeah, no. As long as I'm included, I'll be there for the Zoom meetings. But um, probably hope, probably pretty soon they're uh, they're gonna cut loose. So <laughs> that's fair. Well, <clears throat> maybe they'll boot you after this question. Who in the Zoom meetings? Which of your teammates would you want to put on mute if you could? Ooh, I wouldn't say anyone that puts on that I'd put on mute. Um, G- Josh Guger can uh, can say some funny stuff. So I think he's he's a, he's a funny guy. But sometimes when the when the Emotions are higher. It's an intense conversation. He doesn't always say the right thing. So maybe him in, in, in some in some respects. I feel like it would be for me, there's no way Coach Shelton's not getting a phone call at all times. So I'd be like, Coach, just put it on. Like, no, that's the mute button. Like, no, yeah. no, you have to click that. Like, come on, right. figure this out. Oh, that'd be funny. All right. And this is not indicative of them during matches, but during practice, the teammate that is most likely to hook you to try and get under your skin. Sam. Sam Riffis. <laughs> just no question yeah i mean there's some guys that would do it just to mess with you in like a baseline game but yeah i'm i mean you've seen it in in matches as well sam sam can manage to get under people's skin pretty easily and these up down baseline points with 10 minute times or whatever when we're doing in a practice he's got no problem giving you a tight call or or not even really tight calls but but to say something to get under your skin or whatever um and so (laughs) it gets under the boys skins sometimes so. I will say he says, yeah, I call him close. He nominated himself for that question as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so that's fair. Uh, all right, quarantine-related. Any new quarantine hobbies for you, Oliver? No new ones. I've been playing a bunch of golf. Um, oh, actually, yeah, um, we've been playing a lot of Frisbee golf. Um, Ooh. We found a, we found a pretty cool uh, Frisbee course. Um, it's a 4.6 stars. Supposedly they have pretty big tournaments in Spartanburg. Um, I mean, it's through through the woods, and it's – not very very tight fairways. Um, I have no real chance of doing well on a, if I was playing golf in in this course. But um, yeah, no, it's, it, we've had a pretty good time doing it. We just play like a little scramble two v two and see who wins. It's eighteen holes, so yeah, that's been pretty fun. It's about two mile walk up and down through the trees, so it's pretty good. You sound like an outdoors type of guy. Yeah, I'm I'm a laid back guy that enjoys doing a bunch of different outdoors things, skiing or whatever it may be. So. Mm-hmm. you got the hair of a skier that makes yeah. a lot of sense um, yeah, yeah. what's that uh what's that golf handicap looking like uh i would say it's about a 10 to 12 um damn that's so, pretty good yeah some days it can be better but we normally play a scramble so i play with another one of my buddies who's probably about a about a 16 and we can shoot even par to a couple under to a couple over um we'll play against another two we don't normally scrambles just it's more fun that way more competitive so yeah, for sure yeah no we we do i mean it's a much lesser version but we do the same whenever we go golfing with our family um all right uh i, I may have asked this earlier but how frequently are you headed to the fridge during um, this quarantine? i've been on a pretty strict diet i would say i've been trying to trying to stay out of it um my sister and mom have been cooking some brownies every once in a while so i'll have a taste of those but um yeah no not not too much not eating too too many bad things so been pretty good mm-hmm. so far that's a definite win. For me, it's the Reese's. This oh. is like my body's 50% Reese's at this point. Nice. Yeah, exactly. It is what it is, though. Um, any uh, are you big quarantine Netflix guy? 
no, any new Netflix really. shows? I haven't really watched too much Netflix, to be honest. No, mm-hmm. I, I can't say I have. Been trying mm, to stay makes... busy. Been trying to stay busy, but. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Well, what's the thing you're looking forward to doing most when quarantine ends? Yeah, just kind of the same thing. I'm moving down to Charleston um, on uh, on on Wednesday, so tomorrow. I'm moving down to Charleston. That's where I'll be based out of um, playing tennis. It's an academy called LTP. Um, so we've been trying to get that started for a, a few weeks now, and, and we're going to go down there, and, and I'm going to do some training. I just found a place to live down there with a couple guys. Um, so, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that that happening tomorrow. So it's been a process that we've been trying to get, but um, we're allowed to get down there and start training. So that, that I'm really looking forward to, I would say. Yeah, interesting. Why there and not Orlando? Um, no real reason. Just um, I really like Charleston. Um, I went there over the winter break. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, I, I thought, thought that'd be a pretty good fit for me. Um, I like the coaching staff and, and, um, and, and we're gonna, and we're just going to go for it and see how it goes. So yeah, that'll be awesome. All right. If you could play another match at Wimbledon or another match in front of your Gainesville home crowd, which do you pick another? So if I could choose either Wimbledon or home crowd. Yeah. Oh, is it is it a home crowd? Just is it? Or are we playing? Who, what team are we playing? You got to give me some. You got to give me some more right. variables than that. I'm gonna say you're playing. Oh, I don't want to say Tennessee because you've done the Tennessee thing. You're playing Georgia. It's at home. It's uh, this year's Georgia team, so it's a good Georgia team. Um, or you're play- actually scratch that. You're playing South Carolina, your home state's team at home, Gainesville SEC tournament final. So it's a full crowd. Okay. And then what about Wimbledon? Who am I playing Wimbledon? Am I playing the first round? I'm playing Grand Slam champion. So, so it's a good question. Second round qualies, you drew uh, you drew Greek Spore, which, by the way, good draw. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, uh, we'll say it's a first round main draw match at Wimbledon. Not not center court, but a quality peripheral court. I'd say I have to go back to Gainesville. I have to, I have I have to have another redemption there. Um, I didn't finish I didn't finish the way I wanted to in that last match. I think I'd have to go back playing South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'll take it. If not Tennessee though, South Carolina, yes. The Georgia scenario, the Tennessee scenario, they're out. Um, yeah. Uh, so for you, I suppose, and again, uh, because you, you, as you mentioned, you didn't end your season exactly the way you wanted. But last question, in terms of to receive All American status in singles and doubles uh, to honor your 2020 season, any consolation for you there? You know, as you look back, is there you know still sort of a sour taste in your mouth, or are you you know very satisfied with the way your three years? At Florida went. Yeah, no, I'm satisfied with the way my three years at Florida went for sure, um, and more more so than the way the, the friends I made, the coaches that'll be lifetime friends, and and all that. Um, more the more so than any of the tennis related stuff, to be honest with you. Um, so no, I'm yeah, everything everything is everything has been put to sleep, and I'm and I've come to terms with the fact that I won't play college tennis anymore, um, and excited for the future. Um, so yeah, no, no, no hard feelings. And then to finish with uh, all American honors is cool. I never really came to college for the individual awards. Um, I'd way rather have a national championship than an all American trophy, but, um, but it's good. No, it was good for sure. Yeah. One more bonus. If you could pick, would you have pro tennis be individual or team based? See, people ask you this. I would say I enjoy the team tennis more. So I would say team tennis, but then I would figure you would never find out who's the greatest of all time. So you yeah, would, if you had, team with Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic and one was playing one and one was playing two it would it would 
some of the some of the stuff wouldn't wouldn't really come out. I don't think you get to see all the stuff. So all the stuff that these these guys have, are, are doing right now on the pro tour, you wouldn't get to, I guess, necessarily witness. But um, without that, probably I'd like team tennis. I would say because I just love team tennis. I love competing with other people. Um, so yeah, that's a tough. Yeah, question. but the the counter could be imagine <clears throat> getting to name like a league MVP. You could be like, oh, like actually it was Rayonich who played three for the Canada Crushers, and it's like right. he was just the most valuable person. That could be fun. But yeah, I, yeah, that's a very good perspective. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think that's a perfect place to uh, wrap things up. Uh, so Oliver, thank you again for taking the time to chat. Seriously, it was such a pleasure getting to watch you compete in college as a college tennis fan. Um, and you know, I look forward to watching you play the pros. Wish you success. Success, luck, and again, stay safe, stay healthy throughout all of this crazy stuff. Thank you very much. I had a great time. I really appreciate it. Uh, of course. Take care. See you. I hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with All-American from University of Florida, Oliver Crawford. And I will just share another anecdote with all of you listeners. I think it was the 2014, maybe 2015, Boys 18's Kalamazoo. And I was there in person. It was, you know, right as I was starting to sniff tennis media, get an interest in it. And so I thought I'd go check it out, go see what the action looks like. And I distinctly remember maybe the best junior match I have ever seen. It was a straight set performance. But just the epitome of two players who did not make mental mistakes, who were just so rock solid, uh, was a match I saw between Oliver Crawford and Tommy Paul. And Tommy Paul, I think, ended up winning the match five and four. Uh, but I just, and this was right after I believe that was the year, so it must have been twenty. 20- 15 was when he won his junior French Open, so it must have been the 2015 Kalamazoo, Uh, and even though Oliver Crawford lost, I just remember thinking to myself, this guy has too many skills, is too solid around the board uh, to not have success in his career, and I know I speak for college tennis fans everywhere when I say it was such a pleasure to get to see Oliver Crawford's time in college, a guy who just epitomizes what college tennis is all about, that competitive atmosphere, that embracing of your teammates to bring out the best in your self. That's what college tennis, I thought, did for Oliver Crawford, and it was such a pleasure for me to get to see his career. So obviously, a huge thank you to him for taking the time to chat with us today, and I know I speak for all of us when I say we wish him luck and success as he continues throughout his tennis career. Uh, but of course, we've had the chance here at Cracked Rackets to speak with so many exceptional college tennis talents over these past couple of months. Uh, people who were seniors who had their you know last few moments on the job, at least their expected last few moments taken away from them. People like Alexa Graham and, you know, Ashley Leahy, Jada Hart, Will Blumberg, and more. Uh, but we've also had an excellent chance to talk, you know, Oliver, I suppose, and but an excellent chance to talk about the future of, to the future of college tennis as well. People like Gianni Ross, Elliot Spaziri, Brianna Schvetz, and, you know, so many other, Andrew Fenty, and more. So hopefully all of you listeners have been able to listen to those college tennis interviews on our Cracked Interviews podcast. And of course, that's where you can find all of them if you have missed any of them. 
We've also had the chance to talk to people like Tim Russell, like Tennessee coach Chris Woodruff. I know I have two pods in the queue with other college tennis coaches about the current state of college tennis and what all of us can expect the financial ramifications of COVID-19 to be on college sports and on college tennis in particular, whether it be from a player's perspective, a coach's perspective, a recruiting perspective, an organizational perspective. Oh, we want to keep all of you college tennis fans up to date. So hopefully you've been listening to our uh, podcast, whether it be this one, the Great Shot podcast, or our mini break podcast to keep you up to date on all of those storylines. And of course, I will ask you like, rate, subscribe, review to all of them. And let us know what you think about these interviews. Let us know if there are any players in particular you would like to hear from. And we will do our best to make that happen again. We're, the, the queue is widowing out, but we still have a nice queue of interviews for all of you listeners for these next couple of weeks. So we know you will enjoy all of them as well. Of course, if you've missed any of our content, be sure to go to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Go subscribe to that YouTube channel right now because you don't want to miss our upcoming series, uh, new episodes of whether it be Overserve, CR Classics, Hit and One, our interviews we do in person like the ones we've done recently with Bethany Maddox-Sands and Monica Pui, uh, that and so much more all on our YouTube channel. And you don't want to miss the incredible work of super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who, by the way, have a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. All of this work at Crack Rackets only is able to be accomplished. All of our products only able to be released because of what they are willing to do behind the scenes. So shout out to the two of them. Shout out again to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. It is your one-stop shop for all of your tennis needs. Also, be sure to check out our friends at Aerobar because you want to be properly fueled up for when you make your return to the tennis court. And if it's safe and healthy to do so in your area, uh, don't let nutrition be the reason why you're not getting back out on the court. Go to Aerobar.com. Use our promo code CRACKED15 to get your supply of the only tennis-specific energy bars out there. And folks, they are delicious as well. I promise you that. But with all that said, again, a huge shout out and thank you to our guest, Florida All-American Oliver Crawford. For him, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at both Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. My name's Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Crack Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.